Tatiana Godfrey, and this is Improv Touchstones, Improv Cincinnati's podcast that focuses on the craft of improvisation. No bits, no make-em-ups, just real talk about doing improv. As always, we have a wonderful guest, Jonathan Mangum, and we will be discussing the five scenic touchstones that I see, presence, playfulness, positivity, truth, and vulnerability. I'm very excited to sit down with Jonathan. Uh, we first met doing uh, improvised play online called The Roundabout through Impro Theater in Los Angeles. He boasts such acting credits as The Drew Carey Show, NCIS, Baskets, and Chicago Med. He was a contributing writer to The Wayne Brady Show and The Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson and the announcer of Let's Make a Deal and is a frequent performer on Whose Line Is It Anyway? You can currently catch Jonathan as the host of You Jokes, a joke-making game show. I've been on that a couple of times. Uh, and you can learn more at youjokes.com. That's U-J-O-K-E-S.com. Uh, Jonathan, welcome to Improv Touchstones. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Applause sounds happening. Yeah, yeah. well, let's, uh, can, we'll make a note to put in in, in, in post. <laughs> We're not supposed to do bits. Um, no bits. No bits, no bits. We're just talking about improv. Uh, my first yes. question on my list is, how's life treating you right now? How, how are things going? Life is good. Life is good. Um, I have a job that I've had for now 13 years, which is really rare in the TV business. Um, so I get to go to work every day with my best friend and we get to make each other laugh. And then we give away cars and trips while we're doing it. So uh, life is good. That, that is amazing. That is yeah. really great. <laughs> it is. Congratulations. Thank you. Okay, so this is the Touchstones podcast, and we ask about uh, the, these scenic touchstones. Yes. Um, so th there are these presence, mm -hmm. playfulness, mm -hmm. positivity, mm -hmm. truth, mm -hmm. and vulnerability. Mm. Out of these scenic touchstones, out of ICs and Prop Cincinnati scenic touchstones, which concept speaks to you the most? And why? Wow. Well, there's a lot of touchstones here. Um, and some of them, like I, 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 I want to make this exciting. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cause some controversy on some of them. But let me start off by saying that presence is the, the yes and the listening and the focus is just by far out front as the number one most important thing there is. That, that's the one that is all encompassing that just makes total sense. And it, it also, I wanted to say it also is, uh, some people take it literally, like, oh no, you have to say yes, and then you have to say and, or they, they assume that whatever idea is presented, they have to say yes, and, but sometimes, and this is where it gets, so you have to, you know, kind of use your discretion. Sometimes someone will make an offer, like if you get a suggestion, a kid that, that can't eat candy anymore, right? And so then you start off on stage and there's a kid and he's like, uh, don't give me any candy. So he just made an offer that was don't give him candy. But what he's actually saying is give me candy so we can have some fun with the scene, right? So you want to yes and the idea that's being presented. So even though he said, don't give me any candy, don't take that literally as you must yes and yes, you will have no candy and we shall make sure you only have carrots. You know, you can do that obviously, but you, he was also offering, give me some candy here. I'm just saying don't so that, you know, you follow along with, so that's one way to look at yes and as not a specific literal yes and, but yes and where you know that your performer friend is going because you've worked with them so long and you know what they mean 
when they say, don't give me candy. Yeah, it's like listening, but on a different level. Yeah, uh, yes, absolutely. How do you, okay, so how do you see this concept in what you, in your work and what you do? Uh, the, the great thing about doing, you know, let's make a deal with Wayne is that he's completely unpredictable and he will just decide in the middle of talking to someone playing for a car to decide to start singing an R&B song. And so keyboard player will start playing and he'll start singing and I'll jump in too. And he'll tell, you know, tell me to dance or whatever. It's just, it's just this insane, you know, weird variety game show that we've created that, you know, I, I'm, I'm there with Wayne because he knows I will say yes. And whatever crazy idea he says, he's, he's never going to say anything that I go, that's stupid Wayne. Um, a, cause I would be fired, but then also <laughs> B because it's not good improv uh, for me not to say yes. And so it, it really applies to a, uh, to this weird game show that we have going on. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so, so awesome that that's a job. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah. Uh, how did this relationship between you and Wayne start? Where'd you meet and have that flourish? Yeah, so um, I was in Orlando doing the Disney, uh, um, uh, I forget what they call it. It's a summer program where you can be in college, but you work in the theme park during the day and you take some Disney business management classes in the evening, uh, the, the Disney college program. Okay. And I was doing that. And then I heard about a theater in Orlando called Sack Theater. And they did theater sports. And um, I started doing comedy sports for about six months. And then I heard about theater sports and I kind of moved over there. I was 20 years old and Wayne was 19. And we were just two nerdy kids that, you know, were looking for something fun to do. And we loved improv. And so we started performing there at the Sack Theater in Orlando. And it was um, about a 150 seat theater. And we did about 13 improv shows a week. We did three on Friday, three on Saturday, uh, two on Sunday, uh, the two, two on Thursday. We would teach classes when, you know, on Mondays. And so we were, we were constantly just doing improv together. And um, there was a core group from that Orlando scene that then eventually all moved out to Los Angeles together. Uh, and that's, so that's where I met Wayne and that's where we, we started together. Orlando is kind of an interesting little improv town. Uh, what was it? What was it like then? It was really cool. Improv was was still pretty new. Um, long form wasn't really anywhere near where it is now. So not a lot of people were doing long form. It was a lot of games and a lot of just uh, whose line style things. Um, and then what was really cool is there was a a theater. Uh, Disney had a, they don't have it anymore, but they had a whole island they built called Pleasure Island. And it was, I know, crazy, right? It was this island with, it was just for adults. And it had about 10 different bars. And each bar was themed in a different way, but like full on Disney theme. Like there was a country Western bar and there were Bronco horses. And the, there was a, uh, uh, what some of the other names of the bars? There was a, like a punk bar and it was all, gorgeous and punk and everything. And, but then one of these bars was a comedy shop and it, there was a show called uh, the comedy warehouse. And it was uh, a game style improv, but it was like the nicest improv theater you've ever seen. And everyone there had a $500 budget to buy clothing, which back in the nineties was, you know, a big deal. And it was corporate and beautiful. And, and there were phones, uh, uh, hardline phones, um, on, on the end of every row. So you would call one at random and the person would pick up and you'd get a suggestion and full lighting board and full sound. And we were all mic'd and it was like, like the best improv theater I've ever been in. And so I, I got to do that a little bit, which was in Orlando at the time too, which was really fun. 
But that went away. It disappeared. Yeah. The whole Pleasure Island was not a moneymaker for Disney. And so they they shut it down. Uh, that's a shame. Uh, I mean, that's say what you will about Disney, but that's you were they were employing a whole bunch of people. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Disney was a big uh, the great thing about Orlando is they didn't just have people there at that improv show, but all throughout the parks, they had street theater. They called streetmosphere. People walking out in characters. They still have some of it now. They, we do full-on shows out in the streets, and it was all uh, equity. So it was a real contract with real money, and you could make a living in the day back then in, in Orlando, which was really fun. I, I literally had no idea that it was that extensive. Yeah, it was, it was, it was happening. So how did you start it then in improv? Where did this performing thing generate? You know, I was, I was going to school for engineering at Louisiana State University, and I was really bored, and I didn't like it. And then my friend told me about the Disney college program. So I went to Disney and while I was working there, I saw this show called comedy sports and I just couldn't believe that they were making it up. It was just, I I was just like, what they're making. I don't like, you know, it was back when anyone ever first sees improv, it's just this magic trick that just kind of blows your mind. And so I went up to this guy, Brian Howard was his name. He ran the uh, Orlando comedy sports at the time. And um, I said, uh, said, hey, uh, this show was amazing. He goes, well, why don't you, you want to come take classes? We teach classes. I was like, yeah, sure, okay. He's like, yeah, come take a couple classes and then we'll get you up on stage. <laughs> it's like, what? Because nowadays, if you, you know, live in LA or New York or Chicago, it's like, oh yeah, if you want to you get on stage, you got to take intro one and inter- intermediate improv. Then you move your way to advance. And then a group of people decide if you're ready or not to go into the B show. And then after a year in the B show, maybe you can go to the A. Like, this is like year and at the time, you know, improv was kind of new. And so I, I think I went to two rehearsals and I was thrown into the show. <laughs> and oh, I was terrible. I was yeah. absolutely terrible. Yeah. I, I like I had to like attend six, re- I had to audition to be in comedy sports, attend yeah. a number of rehearsals, yeah. watch the sh- show be played. And then we got to perform and it was still had no idea of what was <laughs> yeah. going on around us. That's the best way to learn, too, though. I mean, you can take all the classes you want, but the best teacher is to just get up and suck in front of an audience. <laughs> yeah. You figure out how to suck less next time. Yeah. Yeah. Sucking. I tell people to embrace the suck because if you are failing, you are learning. And so we used to joke if we had a bad show, it's like, we failed. Yay. We all failed. We just dance around and embrace that we failed because it just means it's just guaranteed that you're better. Yeah, um, this is a podcast, so I just wanted to describe that Jonathan was dancing, <laughs> was like air, hands were in the air. It was uh, it was very like festive and joyous. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah. I just I felt like people needed to know what you were doing in that moment. Um, <laughs> so I put these I put these five touchstones: presence, playfulness, positivity, truth, and vulnerability into the chat. If you wanted to look at them, yes, I, I have them here on the email you sent. Oh, nice. Good. Because I pretend to be thorough at what I'm doing. If you could add a sixth touchstone, what would it be? Hmm. Hmm. These are all pretty good. Uh, presence, playfulness, positivity, truth, vulnerability. If I could add, I mean, you, you've, you've covered a lot here, but I, I do think that, and remember when I said I was going to make this controversial, I, I am seeing now and, and now using my listening and watching to see that it says scenic touchstone. So this isn't necessarily improv touchstones because, you know, when I see, I'm a big fan of jokes and comedy sports is very joke based and any show that I've ever made money on has been like, whose line is all jokes. When I see people, there've been people as, as long form has 
made its way as a successful type of improv that really poo-poo on jokes. And jokes are great and they're important and they're necessary. Now, there's a certain kind of show where you obviously wouldn't do that. If you're just doing a long form scenic show, yeah, you're not going to walk out and make a joke. But it's jokes are also not to be shunned. It is how I make a living at doing improv. And, and I, there's no way to make a living doing scenic improvisation where you explore character. You're just, you're just not going it's, to. It's like jazz. I love jazz. I'm a big jazz fan. And when I go to a jazz show, there's 25 people there. And when I go see, uh, who did I see? The pop kid show my kids like, uh, Tame Impala, I just saw. I never knew who they were, but I saw them at the Hollywood Bowl when there was 20,000 people there. And it's like, jokes are important. They're, that's what gets people wanting to come back. And that's how you're going to sell your tickets for $15 when people eat their chicken wings at the bar where you're doing improv with your friends. So truth is important. Um, authenticity and believability are not I mean, sometimes you want to do a character that's not believable at all. If you are a hedgehog who's constantly breathing fire, that's not believable in any way, but it certainly can be funny in the right uh, aspect. Vulnerability. So looking at this one too, performers let down their guard and play emotionally intelligent characters. Uh, there certainly is a place for that, but sometimes it's fun to play an emotionally ignorant character. <laughs> it's great that you, know, you can do a version of someone that has no idea what's going on. I mean, that's a, that's a thing. That could be funny. I understand these, these touchstones in a way, but I also, and I didn't really add any to them because you did, I, I think they're all here. You've covered everything I can see, but I, I, I do want to, I do want to tweak them a little bit just from a, from a point of view, maybe that people don't get a lot. That's literally why we have a podcast. <laughs> Good. What sort of jazz are you into? What do you think oh, you listen to? Oh man. I love, well, I love all, I love bebop. I love fusion jazz. I go back and forth between my favorite being uh, Oscar Peterson, who was one of the greatest piano players of yeah. the history of the planet. But then also um, Herbie Hancock is so good too. And they're good in different ways. And I've, I've learned to play around midnight that both of their versions of it on the piano, uh, it's, it's a hobby to play piano. And it takes me forever to learn to like six months to be able to play it. And it's not full speed and I miss notes. But um, I just love like comparing like the different way that they would approach playing, you know, a, a great song like Round Midnight from Thelonious Monk, who also don't get me started. I mean, I could talk for I could talk for as long with jazz as I could for uh, improv. I definitely am a jazz person as well. How oh, is jazz like improv? Uh, jazz is like improv. It's really a lot like improv and a lot like, like long form improv, uh, especially because, I mean, you can look at all these presence listening yes you have to yes and you have to listen to what when people are playing jazz you might just think they're just even if you know what improv is you might think they're just kind of like talking right and they are kind of talking they're communicating but it's not that they're, you're also listening to everybody in the band you know if the drummer has a little bit of then that's going to influence your solo and you're going to you're going to try to talk to these people it's really literally like listening and yes anding and talking it's contagious and fun i mean you see jazz people you watch their faces. They're, they're having a great time. Uh, positivity. They're, they have joy. They're playing with their whole hardness. Uh, truth. Uh, yeah. You want to be authentic. You want to be believable. You don't want to be sounding like, oh, this is, that sounds just like a David Sanborn solo. No, you want to have your own kind of thing and you want to be believable. Uh, you, you have to be intelligent to, to be able to play jazz. You have to be vulnerable to listening and yes, ending to what everyone's doing in the ensemble. And it goes on for a long time. A jazz song will go on for 25, 35, 45 minutes, depending on who's playing and what they're playing. And that's like a long form improv too. 
And just like you have to remember characters' names in an improv scene, you have to remember, you know, what other people are playing. Um, it's hard to communicate this, you know, m- musically without hearing examples of it, but you have to remember the kind of phrasing that was used. And you don't want to suddenly play a different style within the same song. You, you want to you want to talk to everybody, which is just like what improv is, communication. Thank you for that. I definitely like led you into that, but I, I appreciate you. Oh, Enjoy gosh. No, I love it. Um, what sort of comedy or improv habits do you find yourself regularly employing or falling into? I also compare improv often to video games, because if you think about like a, like think about a racing video game where you can get this car and this car goes really, really fast, but it doesn't turn that well. Or you can get this car that turns really well, but there's no speed boost. Or you can get this car that's able to jump over people, but it can So I think improvisers are like that. It's like you, you, you find a focus that you're good at, but you're, you're, you're never going to be good at all of the things. You try to be, but you're going to have weaknesses because to have a strength necessarily means you have a weakness. Uh, one of my weaknesses is I can't stay in a character to save my life. If I start off a character like, oh, hello, my name is Mr. Gladstone. And I am. A, and by this time the scene goes on, it slowly starts to disappear. And I'm still Mr. Gladstone, but I'm talking like this now. And I've lost my limp. And I, I just, I can't maintain a character. And some people are so good at it, just be committing all the way through. And I'm still committed to the, to the, you know, the, the playfulness and the fun. Of, but I just, my character will melt away because my, my brain's working so hard and it can't keep up, you know, thinking at top speed and being in a character. So that's a weakness I have. I think a strength I have is I, I, I really like, I like setting a scene physically. I like, I, I don't like it when two people just stand there and talk, talk, talk to each other. It's like, I like, you know, there's a great book called Save the Cat. And it's a, it's a book about um, writing screenplays and one problem that you have when you're writing screenplays is exposition. You have to get across information and it's always boring to have someone stand there and go, blah, blah, blah. blah and this is the backstory. And, and so the book, which I'm going to show you how it ties into improv in a second, talks about a thing called uh, the Pope swimming. There was some movie where the, the Pope had to get, have some exposition in a story and they had written the scene. It was just boring. It's just the Pope talking. So they go, let's have the Pope swimming laps while he's talking to it. And, so you get this exposition across, but it's the Pope swimming. And you're just like, what, what I, the Pope swims? What? But you're listening to the exposition and it's not boring anymore because it's the Pope in a lap pool. So the same way in improv, instead of just standing there and explaining some stuff, you know, go around and start, you know, you're cooking dinner while it's happening. And you never even have to mention that you're cooking dinner, but you could, you could set a whole table, uh, you know, uh, cut some turkey, lay it on a plate, put some gravy on it and pour some wine and never mention it. And it could have nothing to do with the scene. But the fact that you have just set up this world physically so that the audience can see uh, something more than just two people standing there, uh, I think is a, something that I, that I like to do that I, I think I do pretty well. I would agree. I just watched you set oh. that table. Oh, did you? <laughs> for, oh, was, yeah. Uh, yeah. As you were narrating it, that was very impressive. <laughs> Are you doing it? Like, what sort of long form are you are you doing? Or so like, right now, it's a little it's a slow. So I'm I still tour with Wayne, which is great. We we just started getting back on the road. We're going to be in Vegas in a couple weeks at the Mirage. Uh, shows Friday and Saturday night. I was just in um, Long Island with Wayne doing a show at a college out there, Stony Brook. I think college was the name of it. So those shows were super fun. It's just me and Wayne and our keyboard player Cat, and we just do a two person you know game fest, which is super fun. 
And then there was a show I was in that I'm hoping we can go back at, at the Second City here. It's one of their longest running shows called uh, Opening Night, the Improvised Musical that my friend Shuli runs. And it's uh, we just get one suggestion from the audience and do a 45-minute Broadway musical. And that's such a fun show. And it's long form. And we get to, you know, use all the different aspects of, of Broadway musicals. And, and it's really one of my, my favorite shows to do. Uh, occasionally I'll, I'll guest at the Groundlings, which is a theater here in LA, and they'll invite me to do shows with them. There's a great company out here called Improv for the People ha- has me come play. It's, it's, it's great that, I'm, that people will just like ask me to play, um, which is kind of my dream to just be like, you know, hey, come jam with us. I'm like, yes, so great. Great. That's a, that's a lot of opportunities. Yeah, yeah. Um, you also do like some writing and producing work. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's it, when you're in the entertainment business, you, 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 there's always, you're, you always have to hustle and you always have to have things going. So, um, I've written several, uh, pilots, some that I've shot myself, some that I'm pitching now. Um, it's like over the last 10 years, I think I've, I think I've worked on a dozen or more projects with different people, some with my friend Wayne, others with people that were in my improv group from years ago. And when you come up with ideas, you, you pitch them to these television networks and it's a long process. It's, it's tough because sometimes you'll sell the idea, but then it will never go to being paid the second level, which is writing the script for it. Sometimes you'll sell the idea and they'll pay you to write the script. And then they'll stop there and you won't go any further. Sometimes you'll sell the idea. They'll pay you to write the script and you'll shoot a pilot but then it doesn't get picked up to be. So, you know, in the, when you see a show on TV, they said yes to a pitch. Then they said yes uh, to writing a pilot. Then they said yes to making the pilot. Then they said yes to putting it on TV. So there's four levels and they're all pretty hard. (laughs) So you just have to constantly be pitching ideas your whole life. So that's, that's what I'm doing. That seems to be going okay for you. And it, well, you know, the, 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 luckily, this this game show I do gives me the opportunity to to write and produce. I have a, a, a YouTube show that you have been on a couple of times, which is fun, called You Jokes. Yeah. Uh, which is uh, the name of the channel, U, capital U-J-O-K-E-S, where we have two professional comedians make jokes. And the audience plays along in the chat and they type their own jokes into the chat. Uh, so that's super fun. So, yeah, just uh, I, I had a good friend that uh, uh, passed away not, not too long ago. Her name was Karen. She just had this great point of view or, or, or uh, quote, I guess is the word, which is always be producing. That was her, her mantra, always be producing. And so I try to follow that. I think that's a, a really good point of view to have uh, for our creative people that, that make stuff. That's great. Thank you for, yeah. for sharing that. Sure, sure. Oh, I'll take that. That's what I'll take. Always be producing. Always be producing. How has, uh, has, has things changed during the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, gosh, everything's changed. Um, th- I mean, the cool thing about that, you know, w- the pandemic was was terrible and negative, but it also kind of opened things up. I feel like uh, I feel like the improv community across the country and even the world is like a closer group now because people are reaching out, like like you with this podcast, and there's there's lots of other podcasts and there's lots of groups and they're you know connecting with each other and we're experimenting. We're trying all kinds of things online. You know, I I did a long form show with you at Impro Theater online. And it's, it's, you know, it's this experimentation that's going to lead to innovation and lead to to new things and new ideas and new ways to, to, to do improv that we never would have thought of before. I mean, it's, it's, it's cool to watch the evolution. 
you know, it's, I still miss that live audience uh, all the time, but I, I think it's coming back. But you know what? I, 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 I don't know if, if you feel the same way, but I know you've done a lot of these shows with no audience and you're on the internet and it kind of gives you, it gives you a callus in a good way where like in the past, maybe you're, you're a little bit, sometimes I'm, I feel a little shocked if I, if I'm, if I'm doing a show and I'm not getting the response from the audience or if something just dies mm-hmm. and it, you know, it doesn't feel good. No one likes that. Now that I'm used to saying something that I, that I know is quality and maybe not hearing a response, I, I, I trust myself more. It's like, it's okay. Because I know from my years of doing this, that that was a good yes. And, and, and I'm okay now with not hearing the response. You know what I mean? Because it kind of helps you go get, it helps you get used to it. Yeah. Do you feel that way? Um, yeah, I, I've really liked not having any response. It, it definitely threw me to begin with, but it's like I'm just in a room with my friends and we're doing uh, the make em And then like, the <laughs> stakes are really low because I really don't, I have no idea who's watching. Yeah. That's, that's sort of how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. What are some uh, cultural or, or media touchstones that either like are sustaining you or, or that show up in your life a lot? Some people are all about The Bachelor. I'm not one of them, but that's an example. You know who's really, really good with cultural stuff is my friend Greg Proops, who's on Who's Line. He keeps up with everything pop culture so that he has those in his pocket ready to go. Like I'm, you know, I'm a jazz guy. I don't want to hear any new music. I just want to hear the old stuff that I love over and over again. Uh, But you know, you should. I should know who Ariana Grande is, and I should know what you know. Who uh, who do my kids like? Lucky if I didn't have kids, I wouldn't know any of this stuff. But it's important to like, as an improviser, read the paper, go see the popular movie. You know, um, whatever TV shows people are talking about, you got to go see it, even if you don't want to. Um, like, what's the Netflix show? I haven't seen it yet, but it's like I, I will watch that Korean Netflix show because everyone will. And sure enough, there'll be a reference of it, and I need to be able to either play along or get it. Um, Squid Games, that's the name of it. Um, yeah. uh, Tyler, the creator, my, my son loves. And so now, you know, I, I should know who these people are that are, that are coming up. And, and as an improviser, you kind of want to be, you, you need to be intelligent in all of the culture, all of the things that are pop culture, just because that's, that's going to come up and you're going to need to know it. People give you suggestions and they say something, you gotta you, you have to know it. What do I I like science fiction? I don't really like comedy. I don't like to watch comedy. And when I do watch it, I like it and I go, oh, I see what they did, and that was really clever, and I like that. And, uh, but it's like I, I if I'm gonna be entertained, I would just rather see some science fiction or some some good drama, you know. Yeah, like what? Like, like what? Let me see. Um, what did we just watch? It was we watched uh, a thing called uh Midnight Mass on Netflix, which was this, yeah. uh, it, you think it's going to be one kind of show and it turns into a different kind of show. So that was really cool. I, we're watching Succession now because I like to watch really rich people make, make big mistakes. <laughs> That's fun. I mean, I, I also am on YouTube a lot. I love watching, you know, YouTube is such a great place for learning anything you want. Like, I'm even... I think in 10, 15 years, college might not be a thing anymore because YouTube, like college is good for the, for the networking. Like if you're going to be a doctor, for example, you know, a lot of the people you go to medical school with, 
will also be doctors. And so you have this network of people and you can help each other get jobs. And, you know, it's just kind of, but networking aside, just learning stuff, man, it's all for free on the internet. It's for free. You can literally learn to build a house watching YouTube. So is it worth 20, 30, 40, 50, $60,000 a year for those networks of people? I don't know. Anyway, that's, that's, that's me who has a kid about to go to college who, who I don't want to pay for. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How, how, how's the family? They're great. I have two great sons, 18 years old, Chase Mangum and Austin Mangum, and they both want to do music. Um, and they're both great at it. And it's weird because it's, it's that thing with like, gosh, do, do, do I, would you really get something out of going to a college like that? Like, could we just do lessons and like, gigs and start a band like do you so it's it's weird it's uh i'm not completely confident in what to do i mean he we, he's just applying to a bunch of places so a lot of the entertainment professionals are like yeah especially for acting if you if you want to be an actor don't go to a four-year college for acting that's that's a huge mistake it's a waste of your this is my opinion yeah. I, I say no, um, I got just you. Join, go to the local theater company, whatever the, and just start doing it. Start doing theater. You don't need to lay on the floor and, and, you know, all talk about how weird your childhood was and poke yourself with sticks. And it's not necessary. You can do it, but it's not. I know so many people. I was the person four years in acting school and I went back for a master's. Oh, well, no, no, no. So, so I have to put a caveat that teaching is different. If, you, if, you're, if you're going there to then learn to teach theater, that's a different story. But if you, if you want to be an actor, just go act, man, as opposed to the $200,000 loan that you will have when you yeah, get out yeah. of right. Tisch School of the Arts. That's where I graduated. From. <laughs> and, that's, and that's exactly how much it costs to go there. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. correct. That, yep. <laughs> Uh, all of the things that you said were manifest, <laughs> but you know, you know, I don't have any regrets from going there. That's it's. I'm in a position where that's paid off now, and uh, you know, it's led me to to do things like this. I've got you know, I, and and to be clear, I wasn't saying don't do that, but what I'm saying is you don't need that. You definitely do not, uh, yeah. especially with that price tag. Yes, you definitely do not. Yes, I feel every, I feel one hundred percent of what you're saying. Okay, and um, yeah, my father was definitely in your position. Yeah, I don't, I do not envy you that. <laughs> like, good, good luck with that. Oh yeah, thank you. Um, how do you? I find, told you I'd make it controversial. Yeah. Oh, I love, I love it. Our, our, our listeners are, are going to be hooked. Um, how do you find balancing the the family and then working? Um, it's, it's actually works out so great for me because of the kind of job I have, which this let's make a deal show we do for four months out of the year, hmm. four days a week. And then we do the whole year in four months, four days a week. So, and it's in that, it's in LA. I mean, a lot of my actor friends, they're off in Vancouver for six months making, you know, a show and they don't get to see their family. A lot of touring comedians, you know, you know, Wayne is at a point where we can go do a Friday, Saturday, or just a Saturday somewhere. Whereas other comedians have to go Thursday through Sunday and, and be gone for that much. So it's just, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky and, and blessed in that way that I can uh, spend a lot of time with the family as well as being able to have this, this career. Uh, so 
it's great. It's, it's, you know, knock on wood. It's, it's, it's worked out pretty damn good for me. Um, what sort of, uh, improv things do you take with you as you, as you go on your journey through life of making things up and being present? What are some, uh, some lessons or, or highlights that you're like, I need to do this all the time. I need to work with new people all the time, right? Because you just, you, you want to keep growing. You never, you, you never, you should never say, oh, I'm good. I'm, I, I'm good. I don't need any more learning. I don't need to see how other people do it anymore. So I like doing it just with, with different people and new people and just seeing, you know, what do they do? What do they bring to it? How do they play? And, you know, what, what can I learn from them? What can, what can they learn from me? I mean, that's, that's one reason I really like being invited to to other shows. And, you know, they're not always the best shows in the world because what makes the best show in the world, as anyone listening probably knows, is doing, doing shows with the same people so, so often that you become like one mind. And that's great. And, it, and I love doing that. But I also like going off and being a little risky and trying to show with people I don't know and, and failing because then that means I'm learning. So I love doing that. I love also, you know, I think that people talk a lot about diversity and that's really important too, but I was noticing that, that like the, the biggest difference in storytelling from a diversity point of view that I've seen is actually from a socioeconomic point of view, that it doesn't matter necessarily the, the color of your skin if you're going to use race as what makes storytelling diverse, but socioeconomic seems to have a bigger leap to me. Like when I've, when, when people that are very rich do improv, people that have been very poor, those stories are completely different. Whereas, you know, if you had a, a, a rich black person, a rich white person doing stories together, they would kind of, they would be different, some culture differences, but they'd also kind of be similar. But the biggest leap I see is doing it with these people in just different socioeconomic points of view really adds to storytelling and, and different ideas will come in that, that you wouldn't have thought of before. And it's, that's really cool too. I like, I like not just playing with race as diversity, but also with people of different points of view and, and how they live and, and the difference between having money and not having money. So that's, that's cool too for me. Yeah. Um, this is from Karen, who's joining us in our audience. Yeah, I said on YouTube, you made a comment about the best person never getting the job because there's so many factors under consideration. It spoke to her about being true to oneself and not taking things personally, uh, which is important in acting improv in life. That is is more towards like the 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 acting for a living kind of thing. You don't you don't when you audition for something as an actor, you don't want to try to guess what they want. I'm going to try to guess what that director wants and do that. No, no, no. Just make a choice, make a strong, committed choice and go in there and do what you do best. That's what you do. And then maybe you don't, you, you won't get the part. Like I said, the best person doesn't always get the part is because it's not about acting. Isn't really about a merit at all because you don't know what different people of different points of view. And you don't know someone might hire their best friend's kid because of reasons that you will never know. Um, but if you do, if you, like Karen said, if you stick to yourself and do what you do well, even though you maybe weren't right for this part, let's say, they'll remember that you were good 
And then a part will come around that was what you were doing. And they'll go, oh, yeah, I had that guy in here that was doing that. He'd be good. And then, then they'll bring you in for that. And then maybe you'll get that part. So that, that definitely applies to, uh, to acting uh, and improv. Yeah, I definitely picked out select acting credits yeah. uh, in the intro that I did that I, you didn't hear. Um, but uh, how did you fall into, into acting as well, in, in addition to like doing the, the, the improv? So um, I was in Orlando and I was doing improv and uh, my friend Tracy Frankel, who had done a couple commercials, uh, said, hey, let's go get you a headshot and I'll, and I'll bring you into my agent. and. We did, and uh, uh, I auditioned for a couple of Nickelodeon shows that were shooting in Orlando at the time. Uh, Clarissa Explains It All and Welcome Freshman, and uh, I got on those shows. It was funny. I played a, My first job was a pizza delivery guy on Clarissa Explains It All, which is the Nick show in the 90s, and Wayne Brady's uh, first gig was a pizza guy on Clarissa Explains It All. So we, we different episodes, but we both have the same uh, credit, uh, which was awesome. And then from there, you know, you just – started auditioning and, and getting work. I got my SAG card in Orlando. So when I moved out to LA in 95, I, I was ready to go, ready to audition here. So um, this is also from Karen. How do you balance your desire for new experiences and meeting new people with the clear connection that you have for somebody that you, you work with regularly? I just try to say yes to, to, to all of it. You know, it's, it's rare that someone asks me to, to come do a performance that I say no to. So I, I feel like right now there is room in my life for all of it and family. I mean, like I know for Wayne, it's different because, you know, Wayne is in such high demand. Wayne can't say yes to everything he's asked to do. And maybe I would have a different point of view uh, if, if I was in, in you know, in, in that kind of land. But right now, I get to say yes to it all. The, the shows with Wayne and then shows when people invite me along to come at their theater. I, I, I get to say yes. And very happy about that. I, I, I don't know that I have any other questions for you. I feel like this has been very probing. I've, I've answered every question about improv anyone has ever had. And this will be the final podcast on the subject. I know everything about you now. <laughs> Um, but what, uh, do you want us to give us the information for you jokes or what do you want to plug? Yeah. Come, come, come check out you jokes. It's, uh, youtube.com forward slash capital U J O K E S. Right now we have three shows on there. Um, Mondays is a show called, uh, you jokes, which uh, I explained earlier that you were in Tatiana Wednesday is a show called F M K champions, uh, F Mary kill champions in which, uh, Carolyn page who's a girl from college humor does a show where she has her funny friends on and they discuss which random suggestions from the audience they'd rather F marry or kill and why Uh, it's a little saucy. And then on Friday, we have a thing called high joke score, which is just um, me giving you like who's line style prompts. Like, Hey, what's the dumbest thing to say at a funeral? And there's no performers in it. It's just me presenting those. And then you type in your answers in the chat. And then like a high scoreboard on a video game at the end of every week, we show who had the best jokes because a panel of judges rate them. And then uh, it's really cool is that people can win cash doing that. So uh, the best joke gets $25 every week and the best joke every month gets a $50 gift card and $50 to their charity of choice. Hey. So all that is on the YouTube channel and there'll be more shows coming soon. So we, we, we want to we fill it up. We'd love to have a show every night, uh, every night of the week on that channel. 
It'd be amazing. Well, thank, thank you, you so much for joining us. Hey, I'm so happy you asked me. Thanks, Tatiana. Yes, and until next time, folks. <laughs>